Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to another uh, Rahala Stuff Book Club. I am delighted to be joined by Kat Jarman, who has written a fantastic book called The Bone Chests. Unlocking the Secrets of Anglo-Saxons. They all have a subheading now. Hello, Kat. How are you doing? Hello. Great to be here. Oh, lovely to have you. Thank you very much for the book. It's terrific. Um, tell, let's start by telling me a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've done before The Bone Chests. Right. Yes. So I am by training, I'm an archaeologist or a bioarchaeologist, which means that most yeah. of my work is focused on uh, human remains. And I so I do a lot of that. I did a PhD in the Vikings, Viking Age, England, ninth century, looking at a mass grave, trying to work out who on earth uh, was in this grave in Derbyshire. And um, that led to my first book, which is called River Kings. And that was very much about the Vikings and the Vikings' connections with the Silk Roads and the East. I followed right. a, a little bead eastwards from, from Repton, from Derbyshire, and back to its origins in India. So wow. that's kind of what I did before that and a, a yeah. bit of uh, broadcasting work. I do podcasting and, and that sort of thing myself as well. And um, and yeah, so, so then it led to The Boat Chest, which is my second book. Yes, and bioarchaeology bio is very... I've been reading a few books recently. We had a few books on the book club from archaeologists. Uh, there was a member one about the Neanderthals, which um, I think, again, calls on this. It's sort of incredible what you can pull up from teeth especially, but bones as well. 
Uh, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about 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 the advances in that branch of archaeology? Yeah, I mean, I find it extremely exciting. It's uh, it's a sort of CSI Vikings or CSI <laughs> archaeology or something like that, really, because we are basically like walking diaries of our lives and everything we do, you know, everything we eat and drink becomes part of our, our bodies and our, our skin and our hair and our bones and our teeth. So we have all these this bit of evidence essentially of who we are and where we've grown up locked into our bodies and the amazing thing is that we now have the technology to unlock that and to find it in these ancient bodies so we can find a skeleton which you know, 100 years ago you knew practically nothing about and then you can find all this information about where they grew up geographically if they've moved if they migrated what sort of food they ate and then you can sort of build this big picture of, of who they were with both something called isotope analysis and things like ancient DNA, diseases, illnesses, family relationships. It's absolutely extraordinary and, and very exciting. Yeah, which does cast a bit more light on the, the early medieval period, which is sort of, uh, you know, not, not the sources aren't great. The written sources aren't great compared to, uh, <laughs> say, what we get from Rome. But uh, it is extraordinary what we're getting. But let's let's get on to uh, this book. It's funny because I came across this book sort of by accident when it first came out. I'd just done a gig in Winchester uh, and I always take the piss out of the city a bit beforehand. And so I'd been on Wikipedia and, fa- and seen the bone chest, which I may have heard of before, but I'm not sure I had. Uh, and I was I was taking the mickey out of the audience for having all the... There's these bone chests in Winchester Cathedral that contain the, the bones of several kings of England uh, and and other personages so I was taking the mickey out of them for not making more of it um uh, as Richard III has shown for Leicester who do not own uh, the bones there from York uh and <laughs> we'll make that point as I always do uh and uh and so yeah and then I saw this book and thought oh, I've got to read this and find because I've never been to I've been to the cathedral but I've never seen them so tell us a little bit about the the bone chests and why you got interested in them I guess yeah, I mean, they're really fascinating because I, uh, well, I found out through my work sort of probably 10, 15 years ago or something like that. But most people haven't heard of them at all. But you go into the cathedral and you, you can easily miss them. But you go down to the choir and you look up and there are these six wooden chests beautifully carved with little sort of inscriptions on them. And they contain some of the the most illustrious kings and bishops and a queen dating from the 7th and right up to the 12th century, all essentially squashed into these tiny little chests. And they're just sort of stuck there and you just walk past and you go, oh, that's nice. But actually, these are some of the people who essentially helped shape England as a country. And they include a Viking king as well, which is extraordinary. But then they also have this amazing later history, including this parliamentarian raid in 1642, where they were attacked. The whole cathedral is attacked, but even even the chests were smashed to the ground. And people have been essentially after them for, for hundreds of years. So there's this, this huge big story to unravel both of the people who are in there, those sort of original kings and bishops, but also that, that what people have done with them thought about these, these chests. Yeah, so there's about 23 individuals, I mean, not, not complete skeletons, but bits and pieces, which have been transferred, presumably, mostly from graves. So that people might be, again, people might surprise find Winchester was the heart of, you know, was the essential capital or the, or the, the royal residence of England as well at, at this point. So, uh, they, yeah. 
So that, that, yes. that, that, that's why all the kings are there. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, this, this is the thing, again, that's, that's quite surprising. Before London, it was Winchester was essentially the capital of the entire country. And it's partially because Wessex, this Anglo-Saxon kingdom, was the one that was the sort of the, the greatest of, um, of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms at the time. And Winchester and the cathedral there was, was the, the sort of key of that again and that starts right back in the seventh century so some of these burials would have initially been in the same place in the ground originally the cathedral is actually an 11th century creation so that's quite recent but it replaces earlier churches so people have collected and curated these bones taken them out of the ground and and moved them about for literally for for centuries before they end up in these chests yeah, and I guess, I guess I mean I suppose the appeal of Richard the Third is he's such a famous king and there's such a story behind it and and with these kings some of them people won't have heard of some of them, I mean there's William the Second's in there Rufus who was one of my favourite uh, uh, stories of a death of a king at least you know he's not wasn't that yes. great a king uh, I guess if king king presumably King Alfred. I can't remember if this is in the book. They say this in the book or not, but he was might have been buried somewhere in Winchester. Is that is that right? But they, he's not in the. As far as we know, he's not in the chests. Yeah, so he was also buried in Winchester uh, originally in one of the churches that was the sort of precursor to the cathedral. But he was then later moved to Hyde Abbey, which is again in Winchester sure. as well. And then that, uh, when that was destroyed, uh, he, he, we don't know what happened to him. So we lost him. He's probably one of the most notorious kings we've ever had, and we've managed to to lose him, which is yeah. a bit of a shame. But um, he was never named as one of the people on these chests. So they've got this amazing history. So you, you mentioned the number 23, and that's actually a recent number, a count of the people in the chests from yeah. modern research. But originally, there was only about 11 or 12 named on them. So... We have all these excess people that we have not that much information about who they are, why they're there. And um, Alfred is he's never been named as having been moved into the chest, so we don't think that ever happened. We think he was buried elsewhere in, or sort of moved elsewhere in Winchester, and then somehow we we lost track. Yeah, yeah, um, it, yeah. It, it, well, it is it is sort of uh, fascinating. I've, I've really struggled with, especially early medieval history. Uh, I think partly because I didn't study it at school. Or, you know, I did history at university, but it was all sort of 1066 onwards. Uh, and I also, I didn't do any work, which is part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I did comedy instead. Doesn't help. Uh, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't help. But, but I've, you know, I, I don't, it, it's, I think the struggle to get in there is because, A, there's not so much information. They're not so, what the kings aren't so well known, but they've all got these very similar complicated names usually starting ethel something and the and, and so the queen if the queens are named they have kind of very confusing names how do you how do you manage to keep uh <laughs> as i'm studying this is it easier to keep track of than it is reading it because a lot of it this this book obviously talk, talks about the bone chest but then also talks about the the history of england and the and the kings and queens that may be there um is it is, is that something you struggle with to keep track of who's who absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. it was a complete nightmare if I'm going to be really honest and it was probably the one thing that made me almost stop writing this book halfway through it's all these blooming people I couldn't keep track of and some of them are really exciting and have really fun stories and some of them are incredibly boring and you think well okay that's fine you've got this name and you've got a few little events and you think really does anybody care and um you're trying to remember what they're called and some of the some of the women get renamed as well and given the same name that's not yes. really very helpful and then it's how to spell them how to pronounce them and you know it's it is 
a complete nightmare. And uh, also because my background is in archaeology and bioarchaeology, is not, I'm not a historian. And so I'm not really, I'm actually quite used to people who have no names <laughs> just thinking of the, <laughs> the, the bodies and the, you know, other evidence. So, so yeah, I have to admit, I really didn't enjoy that part. So when we come to Alfred or Emma or something yeah. like that, you go, yes, <laughs> yeah. I feel safe well, now and comfortable. Can, it, can, it, can or Canute, I mean, it, there's a lots of reasons why he's memorable, <laughs> but uh, yes. and it's easy, to, it's easy to remember that name. But uh, yeah, once it once it gets onto those slightly uh, slightly closer ones, it does it does get a, a little bit easier. It has to be said. But it, you know, I Definitely. am still fascinated by it. Is David Mitchell's book, which we've talked about on this uh, on this podcast as well, um, talk to David about it. He does try to cover a lot of those a lot of those kings, which I think is a, a, is very bold. And there there are stories there, and it is you know, it, it, I suppose it's. Um, Unlike Richard III, there's no way to identify directly who these people are because Richard III was partly proven to be him uh, because he looked like him and also because he has living descendants, which we don't have living descendants. Well, we, we do, but we don't know who they are of these of these people. Yeah, so one of the big problems we have is that even if we can identify someone and can get the DNA out of there, we don't have anything to compare them to. But I do think that we might get a bit closer because... One of the exciting things we can do now is we can work out family relationships. Yeah. So we can find, and this is quite new, we can get, you know, first degree relationship. We can work out if somebody's father and daughter and, and brothers and cousins and so on. And as we get more and more of them, we start to find connections between different bodies. So if we find one and we're quite confident, so for example, there's one woman in that's been found among these remains and we're fairly confident that it's probably Emma of Normandy and you know we know who her family uh, was and so we know that she's related to all these different people so I feel like in maybe 10-20 years we can do these elaborate networks and connections and actually narrow it down that way which I think is is very cool. Yeah I mean it's it's you know it's sort of astonishing uh, going back a thousand years being able to do this going back you know thousands of years with the Neanderthals and being able to kind of uh, discover stuff about their lives it is it is a developing science, you know, and, and who knows where it'll where it'll go and where it'll lead. But uh, it is it is very very exciting. You mentioned Emma there, and and um, she is the only woman there. You you do write about uh, quite a lot of the female uh, characters from this time, but again, it's it's difficult, as you say, they either change their names or sometimes they're they're not named. They they're just called yeah. the Queen. They're not even named in the sources. But I think you do a yes. good job of bringing a lot of these these characters to life. And obviously, women were. Fifty uh, percent of the story, so it's weird that we have so little about them. Absolutely, and that's that's in the written record. So the one that you mentioned, one of the the most notable examples, I think, is Alfred's wife, Ilswith, and she's not mentioned once in the biography about him by name. So there's all that, as you say, it's, it's just his wife. So you have this yeah. entire big book about him, and she's not named and that just tells us something about the attitudes at the time and the sources and why there's that bias you know because it's not that they weren't important and they weren't doing things it's just that the sources aren't there so that makes it really hard and I kept going you know my my editor kept going put, put more women in put more women in and I go well <laughs> yeah all right I'll try and it's quite hard it is hard, but you know they, they obviously did. You know there was there was there was women who, who who were mothers and grandmothers and wives and 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 so were like connected to to, to several of those kings. So it is it is a, a shame we don't get. Do we know much more about Emma of Emma of Normandy? 
So, I mean, she's one of the ones that we know the most about, probably, yeah. actually. Um, partially because she was in power for a really long time and she's actually the the queen, the wife of two kings, starting with Ethelred and then Knut. So she's in charge for a long time. She has lots of uh, sons who later become uh, kings as well. But then she's also clearly a really powerful person in her own right. So she co-rules with Knut. And we see this in illustrations where they're sat side by side and, and clearly both having a really important role, which is which is quite unusual. And um, she then goes on to really try and push her children or her sons towards being king. So she's doing a lot of manoeuvring around. And as a part of that, she also has her own biography uh, written about her. So she commissions this, uh, which she she's very... Uh, modest, obviously. So she she calls it in praise of Emma. <laughs> biography, just to make it clear that you know. So this is a sort of PR uh, story, really, uh, that she's uh, putting out there. So we don't quite know how much of it is true. There's obviously a little bit of exaggeration in that. It's a bit like you know what you put on Instagram as opposed to what you might put in in reality. I think, but uh, but no. So we do know quite a lot about her because of all of this and. Also because she's an ancestor of William the Conqueror. So she's his great arm, which means that for him, she's really important. So he likes to push that, you know, I'm connected to this formidable queen um, of England. So I have a right to come and just take over and take your country, basically. Um, So so that helps. So that helps keeping her memory memory sort of alive, I think. But as you say, that, I mean, that that's so connected with the creation of what we would consider modern uh, England and the modern United Kingdom as well. It, it, you know, the, obviously the whole, whole events of 1066 and what preceded them is sort of as what made the country what it is. Um, and, and, and she's sort of right in the centre of that. Absolutely. And it's that link to the yellow, because it really, I mean, really, it's it's in this earlier period that all of that happened. England really is created more in a little bit more in the, the, the ninth, 10th century, really. That's when all these kingdoms turn into one big country. And uh, the Normans really emphasise this and their link to that and, and, and that yeah. sort of those events from 1066. So so they they just see her especially as that connective part, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and I, I grew up in Somerset. I'll mention this and see if, if there's any, if there's anything that comes up from this. But I grew up in in Somerset. I wasn't born in Somerset, but I grew I grew up in Cheddar, where our school, the Kings of Wessex, was built on the grounds of a Saxon palace that was sort of discovered as they were building. Have you? Have you? And there's obviously quite a big history of Alfred around there. The Alfred Jewel was found nearby as well, which is a very famous piece of. Uh, uh, jewelry from that time. Uh, have you been to the Kings of Wessex in Cheddar? Have you, have you had a look around there? Yeah, I've been to I've been to Cheddar. I haven't actually seen where that building uh, was, and uh, but I know all about it. I have learned about it. So <laughs> <laughs> I do. I've seen the plans. I've seen the reports. Uh, yeah. But that is one of those really fascinating places because those early ninth century uh, structures we don't really get much of them because they're usually timber buildings they're not great big stone cathedrals so there's very few so actually to have found one like that is is quite uh quite exciting and it's quite great to sort of see that link to alfred as well yeah good i'm glad that it's sort of it's, sort of, it's obviously wessex uh, and and the, you know was was a was a kingdom so it's and that that inc- that incorporated winchester as well didn't it so that's that's uh, it is sort of surprising to think yeah. of the West Country as being part of, uh, of an important place. But, uh, you yeah, know, Cheddar was important, which is good. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about, the, again, the Viking you mentioned, which is... Uh, the Viking king in there, which is Canute, uh, is again. People might surprise to, to know there was a Viking king of England that late on uh, in our history as well. Yeah, and I, I get surprised that people don't know he was actually king of England for eighteen years, and he was an extremely successful king. He was very popular. It was a very sort of peaceful time, and then people seem to only know him for this story of him trying to hold back the waves, which again is also kind of misunderstood. It's, it's almost become a bit of a joke that if somebody is trying to do something impossible, then that he was silly or stupid for trying to to hold back the waves but what we was actually trying to do was to show that even a king couldn't control nature couldn't control god so he was actually a, a very sort of good and wise king uh yeah. but uh but yeah so we get told really that the vikings were all driven out by alfred in fact and i go on about this quite a lot i had to take the life in the uk test to for british citizenship quite recently and there is literally a question on that test that says who defeated the vikings and of course the answer to that is alfred which is <laughs> kind of wrong when you later on have a viking king so so when you took that test did you say well actually uh, it, 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 <laughs> that did not happen so and then kept, oh. not pass or did you did you put that down it, and say i'll just say what they want to hear yeah, it was a multiple choice and it took all my strength not to put my hand up and go, excuse me. <laughs> it was quite challenging, but it's like, do I want a passport or not? Yes, I do. So I had to just tick it. Well, it is, you know, again, but it's interesting. I find it fascinating that the stories we remember most of, the stories we remember about Alfred and the stories we remember about Canute probably never happened. It's sort of the thing that, and Harold as well, the thing, those things, the, the arrow in the eye, the burning the cakes and the, and the turning back the, the tide either didn't happen or, you know, almost certainly were not not what, what we think. So it's, it's interesting the way that history, our imaginations latch onto something and that gives us a, an anchor in that time, but then often, <laughs> and even the tests yes. are wrong about it. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that has got to do with things that go into what we learn at school, because you probably learn these things at school as a child. Yeah. And so they tend to be things that are in textbooks and things that are just being told again and again and perpetuated. So that's part of the problem. And 
some of those is quite funny in trying to unravel where they come from. And you see that some of them go back to Victorian times and times of empire. So Alfred becomes hugely popular when the empire is expanding because here's this local hero who's sort of beating people coming into the country and uh, setting up this great new nation, which is exactly what they want. And so those a lot of those stories start there and then they're just retold and nobody goes back and goes but hang on a minute (laughs) is that really true um or if you do you're sort of accused of of, yeah i don't know all sorts of horrible things (laughs) yeah i mean hopefully eventually an archaeologist will discover the burnt cakes and and then we can prove it happened and then uh, he's written out on top of them and then we'll be fine so that that we never know we never know what exactly. happened. Uh, there, there's, there's lots. I mean, there's lots. Of, I mean, obviously, you, uh, because of your knowledge of bones, there's lots of interesting things about bones. I think I might have known this uh, before, but I found this a fascinating fact about why, when you go to major battlefields where you'd expect there to be a lot of bodies, and or at least the bodies would have been buried somewhere, that you often are not finding any or very minimal number of bones at all. Could you explain why that is? Yeah, that's always a bit of a puzzle, really, because we have all these enormous battles, lots of them, and especially from the Viking Age, we've got records of them. And a lot of time we, we know, you know, that thousands of, of people, thousands of men were, were killed and they're going to be left there. They're not going to be picking them up and taking them away. So what happens and why haven't we found them? There should be bones any you know all over the place really in these places but um one example of of that is actually the battle of waterloo where again you know thousands and thousands of men were were killed but what we do know about that battle is that people actually went back for those remains for those skeletons they were thrown into quite shallow graves but then they were essentially stolen so what people do is they come and they pick up anything valuable so they pick up all the metal any weapons any uniforms anything that's that's of value and then they also come back for the bones and we have all these records uh, that actually the bones were taken and ground up and used for fertilizer uh, which is a pretty horrific thought <laughs> uh, but there's a huge industry uh, teeth were used for dentures for waterloo teeth was um, quite a, a popular thing for a very long time so if you need to fake teeth you could get them from a battlefield somewhere and um that's probably one of the things that's happened over the years because you know bone like you'd have bone meal in your garden if you're a gardener normally not human bone meal but animal but human bones as well if you're just finding them lying around um that seems to be what's happened so it's a pretty gruesome thought really but i I think that is uh, that's sadly the reason yeah well it's recycling isn't it so it's better than just being left to you know be discovered by an archaeologist to find out what you where you were born from your teeth so uh... yeah yeah it might be a preferred option to some (laughs) absolutely um yeah, look, I mean, because it's, there's, you're doing quite a lot with this book because obviously it's about Winchester, it's about the bone chests themselves, uh, and it's also giving a, a pretty comprehensive history of all the of all the people that that may be in there. Um, and obviously, this is ongoing this uh, this investigation into the bone chest. So it, it must have been quite a feat to even be allowed to get in there and and they they have to do all the work in the cathedral is that right because they they're not allowed to take the bones out of the cathedral so it's one of those things where it's it's difficult it's very difficult i know with um the princes in the tower who are meant to be uh in uh, westminster abbey i think uh the queen the queen wouldn't give permission for them to be tested to find out if they really are are who they think as supposed to be uh 
is that uh, a was it was it difficult was it difficult for people to to get the permission and and b can you is there anything you can tell us that you that we that has been discovered that or you're you keeping it close to your chest yeah so i'm I'm not actually involved in the project directly myself no. and so i haven't got anything else i can share i'm afraid <laughs> it's not come out there yet it's a very it's a or very very carefully guarded uh, what the progress is and um, yeah I mean it, I think the cathedral was very positive to it and to understanding it and to to doing it now it has taken a long time the project started in 2012 so there were a lot of issues with that also technology so initially in 2012 actually what we can do now is, is so much more advanced than in 2012 so there were a lot of issues around things like contamination so so a few of the, the sort of photos and things that you can see in films you can see if you go and visit the cathedral you can see a little film of, of when they were sampling them you know completely covered everything and so careful with with avoiding contamination so there's lots of issues like that and as you say yeah. the fact that they have to stay there they had to put up a, a sort of temporary lab so that they can do the work and it, it's really confusing because they i think it's when they counted the the, the crushed up remains in these chests, there were over thirteen hundred individual pieces. So yeah. that's a pretty extensive jigsaw puzzle when you don't actually know what it's going to look like and, yeah. and how it's going to be. So, so yeah, so it's an extremely challenging uh, project to work on, but you know, it's getting it's essentially getting easier all the time because we can now do more and more with those remains. So, yeah, fingers crossed. What, at, what, at what point do you think? How how long is it? To, to, going to go on or is then is there just no end in sight will it just go on till it goes on <laughs> yeah I mean I think there's there's things in progress and there's there's definitely more analysis it also helps to have more material to compare it to so so now there's some really big great big projects looking at more Anglo-Saxon uh, skeletal remains from elsewhere in the country which we didn't have 10 years ago all of a sudden we have lots more so the more databases you have to compare it against the better and the good thing about the data from these analyses is that they it's basically just figures in the spreadsheets. And so once you've got it and you've got other things to compare it to, you can keep on working on it. So you, you get the data out of the bones and then you can do stuff with it later on. Yeah. I mean, you know, just even the history of the uh, the bone chests is, is fat, you know, that, that all the, the revolutionary stuff and the, the, um, uh, the Civil War stuff of, of them being smashed to pieces and put back together again. Um, so we're lucky to have them uh, anything at all. Though obviously we, we, there were nine chests, but there were more than six chests to, to begin with. So there's some chests that are lost, but most of the yes. chests I'm, I'm guessing is still. So th th would would anything have been like lost in that in in that time? You know, when the, when they were attacked, or did they manage to find all the bits and get them back in different boxes? So I think, yeah, originally we definitely know there were 10 chests, possibly right. some more earlier ones when we go back to the medieval times. But certainly in in the, the 16th or 17th century, when we know that this parliamentarian attack took place, there were 10. And uh, so the parliamentarian soldiers who smashed up pretty much most of the inside of Winchester Cathedral managed to smash... Uh, quite a few of them six of them two are replacements that were since made so we know that all these bones were essentially just used they're smashed to the ground some of the bones were used as missiles they threw them at the stained glass windows and uh the poor sort of clergy just had to go and, and scramble about and find what they could and interestingly when they did put the pieces back together again in this new project you found all sorts of other stuff so there was a there's a little toy giraffe there were a little animal bones mixed in there as well so clearly nice. at some point people are just going yeah that looks like a bone let's, let's stick it in a chest and so yeah uh, so yeah. yeah so we would have yeah. lost quite a lot 
if my dog had been around, it definitely would have run off with you know William Rufus's leg bone or something. It's quite that's something to think about, isn't it? That they're probably yes. there's, a, there's a little dog with it running away with the king's bones. There's something in that. Um, well, that's, maybe yeah. that's where Alfred went. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> happy, happy pooch somewhere. <laughs> well, there's there's loads of interesting. We won't we won't talk too much about more about the contents of the book because I would like people to buy it. Is that it is. It does, you know, it, it does achieve a lot, and there's a, there's a lot going on there. So it is, uh, if if you're interested in that period or want to get into that period, it is a it's a it's a really good place to uh, to learn about this stuff. Um, do, do you do talk about Richard the Third a little bit. How, do, was there was there um, amongst the archaeological archaeological community with this sort of you know it, it's a fascinating story the discovery of the Richard the Third bones and obviously has this weird provenance of the Richard the Third Society and and sort of amateur archaeologists and historians being bang on and, and apart from him not being uh, having back issues uh did, did how how did that uh, go down amongst uh professional archaeologists was that were you delighted he'd been found or was it sort of it was it was it a weird thing to have this this amateur person come in and and, <laughs> and discover everything well, it's a really complicated one, actually, because I mean, we've got sort of mixed feelings about it, I think. I think there's, uh, what we don't really hear in the stories is that there was a huge team of archaeologists involved in that as well. So yeah, there's, they're sort of putting just one amateur in charge and sort of making a discovery that we had. It's not quite true. So there was quite a lot going on behind there. But obviously, that's a much more attractive story. So I think <laughs> if you actually look into the reality of it, there was a huge amount of, of real archaeology involved. And, and, and the fact that all the scientists got involved and how, how that will work, that was all absolutely brilliant. There's, there's, I mean, there's issues around it and the identification. You can start to question it a little bit because I know one in the terms of the DNA, one of the sides, I think it's the paternal side, is actually wrong. So right. it doesn't actually it's only the, the female so it's put down as a false paternity event at some point <laughs> in the history that's how they put it i think um so so you know there's, there's all of that thinking well okay so you've actually only got 50 percent some of the signs you go well you know so so there's a lot of sort of memories and going hmm do we really know? So that's that, but that's kind of fun. We like that academics. We yeah. quite like going well. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. And he was he was found under a giant R, so it has to. That's the thing you have to take into account. Yeah. As well. There was an R above where he's found. So you know uh, that for Precisely. me is the cringe. But that again, that's why that's why it's sort of weird that you know the male line is is always has always been important in these things when it's only the female line that you can be pretty certain that the mother is the mother even though you can't be entirely sure the mother's the mother yes. so it's, i've always found that weird that that uh you know all these family trees go through the father as if that's the most important thing we go no the mother let's put this through the mother and then we then we'll definitely know because you know over all those generations there are bound to be a couple of false paternity events <laughs> yes i'm not, call, I think I'm not so. calling all historical <laughs> characters whores but you know that's 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 no, possible. but you know, it's going to be a little bit of, of that, isn't it, in history? <laughs> so I think we need to be realistic, don't we, with that many generations? But yeah, that was a good point. <laughs> uh, and so, when it comes to writing a book like this, you know, it's it's obviously you know, I can't. I, it's there's so much stuff to put together here, and and it's a it's a very well constructed book, and you've obviously worked very hard on it. How 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 long do you put aside to write a book like this, and and? And did, does it take that long, or did, was this was how you know what what's the, what's your process? I suppose in putting something like this together. 
So this one took me about two years to write, really. Um, not full time because I've got lots of other work and lots of other things that I do, but uh, along alongside that, it was a challenging one because I was trying to make it a little bit more interesting, not just a sort of dull start at the beginning, go through all the names and all the battles and all the dates, but, you know, trying to get those characters. So there's a yeah. lot of jumping in and out and trying to find the new stories and find the new research. And um, and I've got to, I, I'm not very good at starting at the beginning and then getting to the end. So I just do it and completely haphazard anything that grabs me and <laughs> seems exciting yeah. and then and then I sort of put it together I literally print things out and put them on my floor and get my scissors <laughs> out and, and try and move stuff around till it works um but I think you know I I always just think if I don't find it interesting and exciting when I'm writing it how on earth is somebody reading it going to find it interesting it's got to be exciting enough for me uh to to tell the story so yeah. that's part of it but it's you know there's a lot of research and there's a lot of fun bits where you go down uh, a library and you dig out an, an ancient book and you find a little reference to something that leads you and sort of solves a little problem so if it does feel like detective work you know you, yeah. you're sort of you having to unravel things and and learn a lot as well so even though you know this is part of my period it's, this book is much more historical than than stuff I've worked on before so it's a steep learning curve as well so you sort of sitting there going I don't know what I'm doing but I'm going to try and try and write it anyway yeah so and, and if there there are a few so there's a few sources but there's also a few documents outside and I, I think you mentioned a letter from Canute or something like that that was that's presumably still exists so there's a chance yeah. that uh, that other thing, and again with Roman stuff, a lot of things turns up, doesn't it? Either cut you know, either in Herculaneum libraries, or or just been written over in a library somewhere, or or just hidden away in a library somewhere. So there's a chance that there may be. It's, it seems extraordinary that a letter from Canute would would survive. I have to say, but uh, but there's a chance yeah. that stuff stuff like that could survive. Absolutely. And things have been mistranslated or, yeah. you know, sometimes you don't realise them. But then you also have issues with forgeries because there's a lot of forgeries of these early documents. So trying to work out what's real and what's not, you know, but things can definitely turn up. So there's always that little bit of excitement that new things are discovered and it might change everything. I hope sure. not. Well, except that means I could get a second version. And, you know, maybe, <laughs> well, it, maybe. It, does, it does feel, I mean, if it's going to be years down the line that it makes sense to write the book now, but it does feel like, you know, there's, there's more, there's should be a second book once once all the information is out or what if there is if there is more discovered than any amazing discoveries but it does feel like Winchester are missing a trick here I, you know it's sort of crazy to me that this isn't just world famous this you know one yes. having one they probably just need to find Alfred and then yeah that everyone will be happy but even so there's some there's some good people in here there's some there's some yeah. good ones and uh and they're they're properly old so it's kind of crazy that uh there isn't there's a bit more yes. going on i there. completely agree completely agree with that. <laughs> and uh did you do the audiobook yourself i've listened to the audiobook but it was a while ago i can't remember were you, are you reading your own audiobook yes yes how, and, how, did, um, how did you find that um, bit of a nightmare because all these <laughs> names <laughs> that was the hardest part because yes one thing is remembering them and writing them then yeah. there's spelling them and then there's pronouncing them yeah and you know how on earth do you do that because actually we don't really even agree so even among you know linguists and historians people spell them differently people pronounce them differently I'm not a linguist. I don't. Like, that's not my expertise at all. I'm not even. You know, English isn't even my first language. So it's a kind of how do we try and do that when you're sitting there in a studio and something came up and we had the fun. The most amusing one was the one who's spelt 
S-E-A-X-B-U-R-H. Right. So I had a long discussion with my producer who can, who was adamant it was going to be pronounced Sexberg. And I said, no, I don't think she's really called Sexberg. And we had this huge debate. <laughs> <laughs> I had to check with colleagues. No, no, it wasn't Sexberg. Seasberg or Seaberg okay. or something <laughs> like that. But definitely not Sexberg. So you yeah, get those. Cool. You're trying to sit there with a straight face and, and go, am I going to... Yeah, pronounce yeah. it that way. So it, that you fun. get to the point when, when you're writing something that you start not putting in words that you're not sure how to pronounce, which is a bit more difficult in this case. <laughs> but, exactly. but I had to, we we had to well, us, but we had to ring. It was quite a lot of medical terms in there. We had to someone had to go and, and check them. And I think that's interesting. You're talking about writing, which you know I think it is a good way to write generally, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, um, of just writing the bit you want to write and then dealing with it later. Because I think the hardest thing about writing is often is just getting on with it you get sort of stuck somewhere and I can imagine you could get stuck in this book quite easily with with one of the more <laughs> yes. obscure and the slightly duller early kings uh and so you know you go on to write something that you're interested in or that's that's really grabbing you and then you and and then yeah and yeah I think that's the sort of because this is such a but this is all you know it's about it's a huge jigsaw this whole book really isn't it it's human jigsaw made of actual yes. bits of people uh and so it sort of makes sense to uh to, to, to write it that way uh, as well, so that's that's very interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think it's 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 it, there's there's loads in there, and it's it's uh, really interesting stuff. And I think you know, again, Winchester, pull your finger out and uh, yes. make something, make something, <laughs> make something of this. Get get some. They they need some character to don't they? They need a character they can do a film about the the character of finding King Alfred's toe bone or something. We'll see. Anyway. <laughs> yes. um, uh, are you are you reading uh, anything else at the at the moment, or have you read anything recently that that you'd like to recommend? Yeah, well, the latest one I read is one that's that's about to come out. Actually, um, I've I've got a podcast uh, as well called The Rabbit Hole Detectives, and one of my yeah. co-hosts, uh, Charles Spencer, has just written a book that's about to come out, uh, which is a lot more serious one. It's uh, it's a sort of memoir book that he's written called A Very Private School, which is about the boarding school system really right. and what it's like to grow up in that. But well, one of the things that really struck me on that is the history of it and he goes into how that essentially has shaped all these people who are now really running the country and yeah. uh, why that came about was just stuff I didn't know about. I, I went to boarding school for a year when I was 15 and had a great time but I realised people who were sent at the age of eight absolutely did not uh, for the yeah. most part and so he's written this fantastic book about why that's come about and what you know as a personal memoir and a history and putting that whole into context of English society, which uh, I would highly recommend. Uh, good, I like. I do like his history books. I think again, they're, they're you know he chooses interesting subjects, and uh, and they're very well. They're very kind of written, you know, in a, a very readable style. I like the one about the the white ship one. I really, I really enjoyed. And he did what about yes. uh, the King Charles uh, escaping the King Charles the Second? It must have been. So this is how bad my memory is. Uh, both history and things I've read about him managing to escape for some time, uh, when when, uh, when when he was likely to get killed. Uh, so yes, yeah, so he's 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 extremely good. We'll, I'll try and I'll try and get him on the podcast. Now I've got a link to him. I'll, I'm, that's good news for me. Uh, great. Well, I'll, I'll I'll read that when it comes out. That sounds terrific. Uh, look, thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast. And dear, don't go, go and listen to the the Rabbit Hole Detectives as well, which is uh, a fabulous podcast as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, Cat Jarman. Uh, the Bone Chests. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Chris Evans for that one for all his hard work and Ben Evans as well. And thank you, Kat, for joining us. That was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash Ballback slash tour or richtang.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>